For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And we're thankful for the grace of God in our lives. Aren't you glad for God's grace this morning? Let's take our Bibles and open, please, to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we find ourselves, of course, as we continue to progress through the the life and ministry of a man by the name of Elijah. And over the last few weeks, or the last several sermons, perhaps, uh, we've learned some, Lord willing, important things from this man's life and from the lives of those with whom he had interacted along the way. Uh, Of course, he came on the scene abruptly. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel uh, was steeped in false religion. In paganism, uh, they found themselves under the, the rule of wicked King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And uh, what they had done is they had replaced, uh, long ago, even when Jeroboam came to the throne, they replaced the worship of, of the true and living God with idolatry. And what a slippery slope they find themselves on. And I, I was listening to something the other day, and uh, kind of irritated me a little bit, so you're, you're the ones that get to hear about it. And uh, I was listening to a podcast, I'm not going to name it because I do not endorse it. And they were talking about, um, about secularism in, in allowing worldliness into the church. And, and one man said, well, you know, some people, they would call that a slippery slope. And he said, well, my friend calls it a courageous climb. I said, well, I'm thinking, well, you're a fool, you know. And, uh, but, you know, they allow all of these things into the nation of Israel, and this idolatry had led them away from the worship of God, to the worship of man, to the worship of Baal and paganism. And now we find Ahab and his terrible wife Jezebel ruling over the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom. And as a result, uh, she had sought out and attempted to kill all the prophets of God, We found last week that there was a man by the name of Obadiah that had uh, taken those prophets of the Lord and hidden them in a cave and fed them and uh, and saved their lives. But there are so many things that had happened in the the nation of Israel. And as we come to chapter number 18 this morning, I believe we we can make a, a, a great connection to the source of all the problems. May, may I ask you a question this morning? Is your, do, in your life, do you have problems? How great are your problems? I believe that all of our problems are traceable. I believe that all of Israel's problems were traceable. And as we come to chapter 18, I invite you to stand with me this morning as we read together here a portion of God's Word. We'll begin in verse number 17 of chapter 18. We'll read down through verse number 30. And therein we'll find the problem. Look what the Bible says in verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam, now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and, uh, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, uh, which 
eat at Jezebel's table. And Ahab sent unto all, all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord." And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. Did you notice the distinction that that Elijah made there in verse number 24? In verse 25, the Bible says, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until... Uh, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is uh, in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, when midday was past, that they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any, uh, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Look what the Bible says in verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near. And the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning, and we need your help today, God. We need need your presence. We need your power in our lives. We need your Spirit to guide us into truth this morning. Father, we ask that you would give us great insight and understanding unto the pages of Scripture today, that you'd open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, I believe that in our lives everything is traceable. And Father, perhaps this morning we find the root problem in most instances. And so God, we come to you this morning as a needy people asking for your grace and help in this time of need. Lord, we need to hear from you. So God, we pray that you'd speak to us openly. Speak to us plainly. Speak to us pointedly, Lord. And show us any areas in our lives that need correction. But Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in this time, that you'd be our helper. Lord, that we would rely wholly upon thee. And Lord, again, if there is any joining us this morning who do not know Christ as their Savior, Father, our prayer for them is that today would be the day of their salvation. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 30. In verse number 30, I want you to to circle a word. It's the word altar. Would you circle the word altar? 
And then there's another statement, another expression or, or description of this altar. The last, really the last two words, no, the last three words, I'm sorry, of this verse, it says, was broken down. Was broken down. The altar was broken down. The altar in God's Word is a significant place. It's a place of sacrifice, no doubt, as they saw it here in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a place where, of great significance in the life of God's people. If you remember, as Jacob journeyed uh, toward Padanaram, as he, as he slept and spent the night in a place called Bethel, he had this great dream of, of a ladder and angels ascending and descending upon that place. And he woke up in the morning and said, the Lord was here and I didn't even know it. And he built an altar there. There we find the first mention of an altar in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 8. Won't you hold your place here in, in 1 Kings and turn back to Genesis chapter number 8. It's a time of great significance in the life of a man named Noah. Noah had been aboard the ark. The, floods had, 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 the flood came and uh, destroyed all of the world. The Bible says that it covered uh, the highest hills and the highest mountains. It was not a local flood. It was a global flood. It destroyed all life. But God was gracious to Noah. The Bible says he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and Noah, along with his wife, their three sons, and their daughters-in-law, all boarded, boarded, uh, boarded the, the ark of God they, they went inside along with uh, two of all unclean beasts and seven of all clean beasts, and, they clo- and God closed the door, He sealed them in, and spared their lives. But in, in Genesis chapter 8, we find what Noah did as he and his family unboarded the ark. The Bible says, look there please, in Genesis chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 20, it says, Now Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. The first thing Noah did when he got done was was build an altar. As soon as they got off that ship, he built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living, everything living as I have done. And while the earth remaineth seen time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. But Noah got off the boat, and he built an altar. It was a place of great significance. It was a place of great sacrifice. It was a, a, place, of great, uh, a, a, a place of great prayer. It was a place of access to God. And we think of, of this altar. And we look back in, in the book of 1 Kings, we find that the altar had been torn down. As we consider the altar in God's Word, there's many people who built an altar. Abraham built, a, built an altar everywhere he stopped. You know, Isaac digged wells, that's what he's known for. But he too built an altar. Jacob built altars. An altar is a place of great significance. And as we look back in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we find a great problem in the nation of Israel. What had taken place? Well, they had abandoned 
the altar. They had abandoned the altar. As, I was, as we consider that it had been broken down this morning, we find that you know, in, our, in, our own, uh, in our own imagination, our own thoughts, are really only one of two ways that the altar could have been broken down. It could have been done out of malicious intent. could have been done by the, the false prophets of Baal as they came and overturned the stones, but I don't believe that's the case. I believe it was broken down because of neglect. If you drive out west, I remember when my wife and I, we lived out west, we would get on I-15 and we'd drive uh, into California. And right after you leave Nevada, you cross the state line and you begin to see uh, road signs for a ghost town. And I love, I love the Wild West. I love Wyatt Earp, you know, Doc Holliday, even though he was a pitiful drunk, you know. Uh, you know, I, I love the stories of, of the Wild West. I, I love cowboy movies. I probably shouldn't confess that to you this morning. But I can, I can always watch a John Wayne movie. You say, Pastor, you want to come over and watch John Wayne? I'll be there in five minutes. You know, I just love watching those kind of movies. My favorite is Cowboys. But uh, anyhow. You know, but I, but we, we, think of, we think of the Wild West and we think of ghost towns, don't we? Uh, why did they become a ghost town? Well, because people moved out and they moved on. And because of the lack of presence in that city, in these homes, the whole town became dilapidated and falling apart. Unhabitable. You know, the windows break, nobody's there to repair them. The roof begins to leak, sorry, nobody's there to fix that. And over time, things just become overgrown and the weather causes things to fall apart. The same would be true of your own house, wouldn't it? If you neglect your house, guess what's going to take place? It's going to fall apart. It's going to become dilapidated, condemnable, right? Vines will grow all over everything. It'll be a mess. The same is true for the altar of your heart. If you neglect the altar of God in your life, everything in your life will fall apart. Do you believe that? I believe with all my heart. You see, God wants us to give Him His rightful place. But something had happened in the life of Israel. There was a man by the name of Jeroboam when when the, the, the kingdom divided. He came in and he caused the children of Israel to sin. Uh, he did not want them to return to the altar of God. He did not want them to return to, to, to Jerusalem to worship God collectively as a people, so he brought great division. And he invented his own religion, and, and he caused the children of Israel to sin. And over time, they continually got worse and worse and worse and worse, and now they have to suffer through the reign of terrible King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. The altar had been broken down. Christian, in our lives, you and I ought to give heed to the altar. We ought not abandon the altar. We must not forsake the altar. Don't ignore the altar. Don't replace the altar. But we need to give heed to the altar. You see, if we even look back in 1 Kings chapter 17... We find 
that Ahab replaced the altar of God. And so oftentimes in our lives we find a great, a great temptation to replace the altar of God in our lives with lesser things. And without question, these lesser things, if, if heeded and obeyed and nurtured, will overgrow our lives, will overwhelm our lives and lead us further away from the Lord than we ever intended to go. The Bible says, look there in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse number 30. I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse number 30. It says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. That's quite an achievement, isn't it? Maybe not an achievement that you would want to win a medal for. But he was the worst they had ever had. And the Bible says in verse 31, And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of, a, of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. This is their, the national leader. And the Bible says, And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. It's quite an achievement. What's the condition of your altar? Is it a condition of neglect? Is it in a condition of ruin? Christian, how's your prayer life? An altar is a place where we, act, have, where we spend time with the Lord. In a practical sense, in our Christian lives, it's a place where we pray. It's a place where we spend time alone with God. How's your altar? This morning, I'm going to begin pray. It's a place where a we spend time alone with God. And before we get into the main body How's of this message this morning, I want to make a plea for you to come this back. This morning tonight. I'm going to begin. Okay. It's a place where a we two-part message. spend time back tonight, alone with We're going to God. find hope. And before we get into the main I want you to body come back of tonight, this message find this help morning, from the Lord. I want to make a plea for you to come because back. Because this morning, I'm going to begin. this morning, as we look here, okay. we find the, the dangers of a broken down altar. Christians, we must not neglect the altar. Because what will take place is that there will be a void only to be filled with idolatry. If we look back and write that down, the void that is left behind, the void is filled with idolatry. We just read in, in chapter number 17 how, how Ahab, how he built this, 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 this altar and built this house and, and built this grove for Baal. You think Baal worship is gone today? It's not. It's renamed and repackaged. But in our culture today, Baal worship, the worship of Baal, is everywhere you look. But inevitably in our Christian lives, if we neglect the altar of God, that void that is left behind will ultimately be filled with something else. 
for what reason are we created? You and I, we're created for the Lord Himself. Hold your place here in 1 Kings and look back, please, in the book of Revelation. The last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter number 4, we find the great purpose, or one of the great purposes. We'll even look in, in the book of Ecclesiastes here in a moment. But in, in Revelation chapter 4, as we sit around the throne of God, as we gather there and worship the Lord, the Bible says, in verse, uh, in verse number 9, it says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne, and worship Him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before His throne, saying, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Christians, you and I, we're not, we're not created for this world. We're not created uh, for the things of this life. You and I are created for God Himself. You and I, we're not... We're, God does not want you to live for anything or anyone less than Him. When you do, that's a great sacrifice that you make. And a sacrifice in a negative sense. You lose so much when you live for things less than the Lord. Jesus Christ said that He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But an idolatrous life is not a life of abundance. It's a life of lack and loss. Why are we, why are we here? Look back in the book of Ecclesiastes, please. In Ecclesiastes, the final chapter, chapter number 12. You want to know the meaning of life? I always preface this, reading these verses with that statement, you know. Do you want to know the meaning of life? How many of you knew that you were going to come to this church this morning and discover the real meaning of life? Wow, write this on your calendar. This is a day you ought to never forget. But it's true. We may say it, in a, in a joking manner, but friends, this is the reality. This is why you and I are here. This is why God created us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 13, Solomon writes, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is this whole matter of which he speaks? He's speaking about life. The matter of your life. In other words, what does your life amount to? Why are you here? For what reason are you here? You're not here by mistake, friend. You were created by God. You were placed here for a reason. God knows you. He knows you so much. He he knows you more than you think you know yourself. He knows you're down-sitting, you're uprising. He knows your thoughts afar off. He knows the, the number of hairs on your head. Which, in my case, it's a little easier. But for some of you more blessed men, you know, congratulations, right? But He knows you. This this life is no accident. You're not here by mistake. You did not evolve from a piece of gelatinous goo. You're not an animal. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. He placed them in the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. 
friends, he, he created you. He, he's given you reason to live. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Look what it says there in verse number 12. I'm sorry, verse number 13. It says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Christians, you are created for God. You're not created to worship this world. You're created to worship God. And if we fail to worship God, and without a doubt, you and I will worship the world. Only two choices on the this, on this shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Well, look, won't you look with me, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, we find a simple command. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. You might say, well, pastor, I'm not an idolater. Congratulations. You may be the only one in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12, the Bible says, Wherefore he that uh, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know what that means? It means you and I were all prone to this. You and I were all prone, just like the nation of Israel, to neglect the altar, to allow that altar to be, become broken down and neglected, to find, and, and lead us to a ruinous place in our lives. Christian, we must give heed to the altar. He says there in verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you as such as is common uh, to man, but God is faithful. You can mark that statement in your Bible. God is faithful. You can take that to the bank every single day. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. God is faithful. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Christian, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Look what the Bible says. How can I bear it? You see, in life, there is a great temptation to hit the snooze button. There's a great temptation uh, to, to ignore the things of God. There's a great temptation to think that, you know what, I, can't, I don't have time uh, to, spend, to, to spend with the Lord today. I, I don't, I, I, and we allow all of these excuses. It's a temptation. But you know what? The Lord has given you a way, a way of escape. It's found in verse 14. Look there what it says. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. He says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. What is idolatry? We can look back in the book of Exodus in chapter 20. We find the Ten Commandments given there in the Mount, on Mount Sinai. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, which was a great feat, was it not? Yeah. With a mighty hand and a stretched out arm, God delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. He brought them through the Red Sea. He delivered them with the ten plagues. God spared them. And, and now they, they, they gather at Mount Sinai and Moses is up and he's writing down these commands from God. 
And he says in verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know what that means? Don't be an idolater. You know what the world does? The world does the same thing that Aaron did when he fashioned that golden calf. The world does the same thing that Jeroboam did when he too made the calves. They stand before you, they say, these be thy gods. But they're no gods at all. You know, the great temptation in life, Christian, is to fill that void with lesser things. We can, we can allow the, the things of this world to become our gods. We, we serve them more than we serve the Lord. We allow our children to be our God. We, we bow down at the altar of our kids. We give them whatever they want to make them happy. And you know what? They'll never be satisfied. Because in more than things, they need the Lord. We allow our job to be our God. To keep us from the things of God. We allow our hobbies to be our God. To keep us from the things of God. We allow all of these other things to remove us away from the altar of God. And Christian, without question, if we neglect the altar, there is a void left to be filled. And it will not be filled by the things of the Lord. We look back in 1 Kings chapter 17. Remember, we saw that Ahab, he built an altar in the house of Baal. For Baal, he built a grove and instead of visiting the altar of God, these, these people visited the altar and the groves of Baal. There's a void. There's a void that will only be filled with idolatry. Notice the second lesson we find, that if we neglect, if we neglect the altar of God, our Christian life becomes unstable. Our Christian life becomes unstable. Look in chapter 18 of 1 Corinthians. In verse 21, the Bible says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? That word halt means to be lame. It means to be unsteady. It means to be unstable. I'm reminded of the night that, that uh, Jacob wrestled with God before he crossed the river to meet his brother Esau. And as he wrestled with God, God couldn't prevail. And Jacob couldn't prevail. So what did God do? He, remember, he, he touched his leg and caused him to halt upon his leg the rest of his life. He limped the rest of his life. He had a bad leg. He was unstable. He was halt. Christian, when we neglect the altar... You and I, we halt. Our Christian life becomes lame in more ways than one. And we're unstable. See, how long halt you between two opinions? 
What did, what did Elijah exhort the people of Israel to do? He says, if the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And you know the sad part about it? The people answered not a word. I want you to hold your place here in, in 1 Kings and look ahead to the book of James in the New Testament. In the book of James, in James chapter number 1, See, when we abandon the altar, we have no idea who to serve. Isn't that a shame? I'm reminded of what the Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, a double-minded man. A man who is halt between two opinions. I don't know if I want to do this, or I don't know if I want to do that. And I, I kind of want to go to church today, but I'd rather stay home. I'm going to read my Bible, but just for a second, I've got other things I need to do. It's How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve Him. If Baal be God, serve Him. The people answer not a word. The Bible says in James chapter number 1 and verse 8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So oftentimes you can tell when people have neglected the altar because their life is unstable. They lack a stability in life that it's sad. They lack a stability in life that God never intended for them to endure. The Lord wants to be your God. Jesus says, if you, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You won't be unstable. You'll keep your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We can look in Hebrews chapter number 11. We find a great, uh, a great history of, of men and women of old who, who lived their life by faith in God. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the Bible says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, through faith, in faith, you know, all the way down through we have these great, uh, short biographies of these men and women of God who lived their life looking unto Jesus. Christian, when we, when we abandon the altar of God, our lives are unstable. So what's the solution? Well, keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't neglect the altar of God. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about uh, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the throne of God. For consider him that endured contra uh, such contradiction of sinners against himself. Look here in verse number 3. It says, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Christian, if you, keep, if you turn your eyes away from the Lord, ultimately you will become unstable. 
But as you look back in Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Kings, First Kings chapter number eighteen, we find we find another sad danger of a broken down altar. We find that when the altars are broke down, that desperation sets in because there's no answer. This, this account in 1 Kings chapter 18 is perhaps one of the most famous records in all of God's Word. Most well known. And as those prophets of Baal, as they get their altar ready, as they choose their, their bullock, as they dress that sacrifice, as they set it on wood, as they put no fire under it, they begin to pray. They begin to cry out. But what happens? There's no answer. And the Bible says, but there was no voice nor any that answered in verse number 26. So what did they do? They became desperate. And I'm not feeling athletic this morning, so I will not illustrate what they did. But the Bible says that they leaped upon the altar which was made. They jumped up on top. And they started to holler and lift their voice. And they became, they were growing more and more desperate. The other night, my wife and I took our boys to see, uh, to, to Chillicothe and, and watched uh, the, the, the Tecumseh play. How many of you have ever been there before? It's quite a, quite a pretty, pretty neat thing. Well, about halfway through the first, uh, before, the, before the, admission, the intermission there, started to sprinkle a little bit. So I thought, man, Lord, please don't let it rain. And this started to thunder and lightning. Thinking, Lord, I don't want to die. <laughs> please don't let it do this, right? We want to enjoy ourselves tonight. And before the, the production started, I sat down next to the man, he's from up in North in northeast Ohio, up past Steubenville. He drove three hours to come watch this thing with his family. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it just stopped raining. And the man looked at me, I'm not. I said, you know, I'm praying that it doesn't rain. And I told him that. I'd, he asked me what I, what I did for a living. I said, well, I pastor a church in Columbus. He said, oh, wow. And he said, what do you think about it stopped raining? I said, man, I prayed that it would. And then it started to thunder again. <laughs> Thinking, where is the God of Elijah? <laughs> you know. Uh, well, please, Lord, don't let it rain. Don't let it ruin this for everybody. I don't want to get soaking wet. I don't want to get struck by lightning. I want to make it out of here in one piece. You know. It rained a little bit, off and on. On the way out, we were walking up the stairs. And I heard somebody behind me said, yeah, watching on the weather radar. And that storm went all the way around us. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. But it's nice when there's an answer, isn't there? It's great when there's an answer. 
But when there is no answer, desperation sets in. And friends, so many people in this world are looking for an answer, but there is none because they've abandoned the altar. And when you abandon the altar, the desperation, life happens, doesn't it? Hardship, tragedy, loss. But the only answer comes from God. The only answer that will ever be found is at the altar. Christians, God is the answer. He's not a crutch. He's your very present help in time of trouble. They be, these men, they became so, so distressed and desperate that the Bible says, in verse 28, it says, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. What would cause someone to make such a desperate act? No answer. Christians, are, are the altars broken down? Have they been abandoned? Has life overgrown your altar? Do you need to prune some things back? Do you need to remove some things from your life? Do you need to revisit that place? Do you need to find that peace and quiet rest in the presence of God? Do you need to spend time in the altar, at the altar, with the Lord, in prayer, seeking God, getting to know Him more personally? The altars were broken down. Christian, every problem in our life is traceable to the broken down altar. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,